Welcome back to the 49ers You've Got Mail podcast sponsored by Manscaped. This week, we are joined by someone who I like to say has a pretty good pulse on the San Francisco 49ers, and not just from a surface level. And I'm going to tell the story in a little bit of why it's not that, but has a pretty deep grasp on the 49ers and kind of the the numbers and the analytics that really tell the story that maybe not everybody could see from just watching the game. But I say all of this to uh, welcome David Lombardi from The Athletic joining us on the pod. David, um, before we start, I want to know how is your blood pressure doing? Because after Sunday's game, it took a while <laughs> for me uh, just to kind of catch my breath after that overtime win in Cincinnati. You know, the final drive of that game evoked a lot of the same emotions because I just love football. I, I And I love when games get dramatic. I love when those, <laughs> you know, the, the narratives are determined, you know, toward the end of games. That's what the NFL is all about. It's about crunch time. So that final drive, I, I felt a lot of the same things as I felt during the final drive in 2019, week 17 at Seattle when the 49ers wow. were on defense. Yeah, and th- th- this game was not nearly as big from a playoff implication standpoint. I'm not going to you know, sit here and pretend that it was. I'm just telling you how I felt watching that game because of the ebbs and flows mm-hmm. of that game, right? And uh, yeah, I... I I was sitting there watching and I'm like, you know, I feel the same way as I did in that Seattle game in 2019. I feel the same type of intensity coming from this field. And this time it was the 49ers offense that had to finish the game. And and obviously they finished it in, in a very successful fashion. Um, as a football fan that you are, you enjoy these moments and you say that's what football is all about, but I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to be very honest and candid. I hate moments like that. My anxiety is not built for moments like that. Um, I can't tell you how many words that would have to be bleeped out came out, um, watching that game. Uh, but 49ers ultimately pulled out that overtime when, um, I feel like, you have to, at some point in that game, you have to credit all three phases of that game, yep, special yep. teams, uh, defense stepping up when they needed to, and then ultimately looking at that offense being able uh, to take that drive down the field and uh, finish it off with that Brandon IU touchdown. But um, looking at that game, what's your biggest takeaways from the 49ers performance? Did you learn something new about the team? Was anything reaffirmed for you? What did you take away? Well, the 49ers all season, they've been puzzling the people because their record has been mediocre, right? It hasn't been great at any point of this season, but their efficiency numbers have actually been good. So the common consensus among analytics people and then, you know, people that, you know, only watch the tape too, they they see a lot of talent on this 49ers team, but the record hasn't quite matched up. And the main reason has been because they've blown two games due to atrocious special teams performances, both against the Seahawks. So entering Cincinnati, um, you know, when the 49ers were six and six, they would have been eight and four with decent special teams play in both games against the Seahawks. That that was one of the differences there. And, and the other, you know, gap that the 49ers had really struggled to bridge was the fact that they hadn't really won a game in the true clutch at the end. You look at the Packers game that they blew at the very end. And you could also look at the Seahawks game from week 13 that they weren't able to execute there at the goal line at the very end. I guess Minnesota was a close game, but then that wasn't really a clutch final two minute finisher in, in that game. Right. So that was standing in the way of the 49ers 
you know, being a good team analytically and being a good team when it came to the actual win loss column. And you better be a good team when it comes to the actual win loss column or nobody cares what the analytics say. So against Cincinnati, they finally got it done in crunch time. They got it done when push came to shove. And I'm talking all three phases, right? In in overtime, when all the chips were on the table, look look and see what happened. First, well, let's not discount special teams. Mitch Wisnowski had been struggling to kick the ball through the end zone. He'd been struggling to deliver touchbacks, and that had hurt the 49ers. Well, he, over time, kicked it through the end zone. That mm-hmm. was a touchback. That helped the 49ers. They also didn't fumble away the ensuing kickoff after Cincinnati kicked the field goal, right? So, I mean, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but that was stuff, that basic stuff wasn't happening the week before in Seattle during that loss. So they got that done in crunch time. Then the defense, even though it was exhausted, even though at that point of the game, it was overmatched against Joe Burrow and company, the defense found a way to bend, but not break. And you have to give D'Amico Ryan's a ton of credit for calling that blitz with K1 Williams on third down and three. And that blitzed, made C.J. Uzoma pick up K1 Williams, and it opened up a one-on-one for Nick Bosa against Isaiah Prince against right tackle. And that turned into a sack that saved the game. And then everybody knows what happened after that. Jimmy Garoppolo led the team down the field, six passes. Uh, they're all perfect. And the 49ers scored with Brandon Ayuk, and they walked it off. So that's special teams, defense, offense, all really delivering their parts of what the 49ers' formula to win needs to be. Not only did they deliver it, they delivered it in crunch time. And that's what I learned from this game, that this 49ers team can do that because I wasn't sure, you know, through 13 weeks, I wasn't sure. This was a team that had talent that was capable, but they couldn't ram it through. They couldn't really deliver that finishing punch when it actually mattered. But in on the road against a good team in some pretty cold weather in Cincinnati, uh, you know, there's nothing better than December football if you're a fan of the 49ers or if you follow the 49ers, meaningful December football in those conditions, they got it done. And that's my takeaway from this game because now they have that belief behind them moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a fantastic point that you make because when you look at some of these games and you didn't really see the 49ers in these close matchups, I'm not talking about a Jacksonville game or anything like that, but in these close matchups, being able to grind out that victory the way they did. But let's talk about that. I want to dig just a, a little bit deeper in there and Talk about this team that I believe at one point, my math might be wrong, I can't remember, but I believe at some point they did have a 17-point lead. They had a pretty sufficient lead over Cincinnati. I'm probably They were up by 14. There we go. 20 to 6. 20 to 6 at the start of the fourth quarter. So a 14-point lead. You're up two scores. You let Cincinnati creep back. Let's play a little game of, you know, overreaction or underreaction. Is it alarming? Is it an overreaction or are we uh, underreaction here that the 49ers allowed this Bengals team, which you said it, this is a pretty good Bengals team, but letting them come back two scores and forcing you into overtime? Well, here's how I opened my postgame article, and I think this answers the question. My first line was, yes, the 49ers were absolutely guilty of procrastination. They led the Bengals 20-6 to in the fourth quarter. Then their offense was unable to salt the game away. Their defense seemed to run out of gas and their kicker failed them at the final gun. All three of those things had to fail for this game to go to overtime. So yes, this was a game where the 49ers did some bad stuff. I mean, you have a two touchdown lead on the road 
there are many ways that you can ice that game and make sure there's not overtime. And, and it required failures in all three phases of the game, all the way down to Robbie Gold's missed kick at the gun to allow that to go into overtime. So, uh, yeah, you, you leave that game as the 49ers thinking and realizing that, boy, we've got to get better at some of this stuff if we want to go to, to where our goals are. But you also get to work on that kind of stuff after securing a clutch win. And I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to build <laughs> that emotional momentum to make yeah. those corrections when you are coming off the exhilaration of victory and the confidence that comes with the exhilaration of overtime victory than if you were sulking after a gut punch of a loss. So um, nothing is perfect after that win, but the ending was perfect. So something is, yeah. I guess. Something technically was perfect, and that was the ending. Yeah. And you take that good and you build on it to, to address the bad if you're the 49ers. And I'll tell you what, um, everybody in the league has flaws this year. That That's the important, you know, that's the important perspective to have here. So uh, that's why you don't nitpick these kind of wins. You you you're happy that you got them. And then, and then of course, yeah, you evaluate the negatives, but you also realize that it's not easy to win in this league, especially against good football teams And Cincinnati. I mean, they, they came into that game with a winning record. So I, I think that's a good team. And I saw a good team. I saw an explosive team that the 49ers were able to win and, you know, just get out of Dodge and it's on to the next one. And Atlanta, I don't think is nearly as good as the Bengals. We're going to talk about this Atlanta matchup here shortly, but I want to go back not too far, but let's go back to this overtime. Everybody kind of thinks of, you know, the heroes of this game. And you think of George Kittle and some of these clutch third down catches he came up with. And you think of Brandon Ayuk and that uh, game winning walk-off win right there or touchdown. But uh, one person that a lot of people are failing to remember, and you mentioned his numbers on that final drive, Jimmy Garoppolo, absolutely perfect six for six um, on all his throws, including that uh, throw at Brandon Ayuk. But I feel like, and I feel like this is fairly accurate, nobody is scrutinizing more, obviously, than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I know you have been, um, you've had some numbers to back up kind of how you have seen how he has performed so far this season. And a lot of people feel some type of way, some feel another, but what have the numbers told you about Jimmy Garoppolo's efficiency this season and his overall performance? Well, let's start with this. There are a lot of people, and this is natural, especially in an emotional game like football, and especially during a year that's seen a lot of chaos, right? You've seen a lot of back and forth play. Let's just put it that way. Not only from teams, but specifically from their quarterbacks. So a lot of people are prisoners of the moment when it comes to evaluating quarterback play, because that's the most important position on the field. So if a quarterback throws for 300 yards, no mistakes, his team wins. Uh, he's the, the greatest player who's ever put on a uniform, right? But the moment that he throws an interception or even an incompletion, all of a sudden he's trash. That's really, I think social media has also fostered that kind of evaluation of yeah. quarterbacks, right? Because people want to make one throw mean more than it actually does. Because you want your tweet to go viral. You want people to like what you put out there in 140 characters. So every single play is some kind of referendum on a quarterback. And that creates this super toxic discourse that just goes up and down, up and down. And it's, a, it's this roller coaster that if you don't step back and look at the big picture of how a quarterback is performing, 
while realizing that he's going to throw in incompletions, in, in, in he's going to throw interceptions, he's going to make mistakes, but he's also going to do good stuff. If you don't step back and look at the totality of the whole picture, then uh, you're going to be on this roller coaster to nowhere forever, and you're never going to get the truth. So, with that being said, this is why we have analytics. So we can't, you know, people have their biases entering things. They're going to say, oh, he missed this read. He missed this pass. And they'll show that clip on Twitter. And it's like, okay, great. But Tom Brady has missed passes too. And I guarantee you, Tom Brady missed at least three or four the other week. What makes Tom Brady great, what's made him a legend, is that he's hit on a much higher rate than the average quarterback over the course of two decades, right? So we, we measure this kind of stuff analytically because we could get a less biased, more dispassionate view. So expected points per play, per drop back, is, is a good stat because it measures how effective a quarterback is on every single down. And it also takes into account, well, if it's third and four and the quarterback only completes a three-yard pass, well, that's a negative play. But if he completes a five-yard pass on third and on third and four, well, that moves the chains. It's a positive play, right? So uh, it, it's a very smart way of looking at quarterback efficiency. And here's how quarterbacks this year rank in expected points per play. I'll give you the top five over the course of the whole season. Number one, Aaron Rodgers. Number two, Matthew Stafford. Number three, Tom Brady. Number four, Kyler Murray. Number five, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Behind Garoppolo is Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Kirk Cousins, Josh Allen. So he's right up there. Now we can narrow the scope here a little bit too because we want to know how Garoppolo has been playing more recently, and he was terrible, obviously, in that game against Indianapolis a couple months ago. But since that game, since he went back home to Chicago, uh, expected points per play in the NFL, number one, Jimmy Garoppolo, number two, Justin Herbert, number three, Tom Brady, number four, Kirk Cousins, and number five, Carson Wentz. Six is Mahomes. Wow. And that's an objective way of looking at it. And, and you know, some people don't, you know, would rather argue with emotions than facts and and they're like oh well this is all due to the scheme or something like that i don't care if it's due to the scheme i'm not here to give you a top 10 quarterback ranking as far as who's the best quarterback i'm here realizing that every single qb is in a strategic partnership with their play caller and the rest of their offense the other 10 guys on the field and that partnership is has the the singular goal of making that offense and that team as efficient as possible. So regardless of whether the coach gets some credit, the quarterback gets some credit, I don't care. Everybody should get credit. That that's a juvenile stupid argument to try to be singling different people out. It's can this entire operation where the quarterback is obviously a super important piece and the coach is a super important piece and is supporting cast like Debo Samuel and George Kittle, those are all super important pieces. Can this operation be efficient? And since week eight, Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers operation has been the most efficient in the NFL. So those are the facts. I mean, you could get mad at at people for portraying them and you could say, oh, he's overrated anyway. But that's how the 49ers are playing. And if they continue to play that way, if Garoppolo continues to deliver that way, they're absolutely contenders. That's all I could say, you know. Um, So I hope that kind of helps uh, bring some perspective to the situation. Manscaped is the official below-the-waist grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. That is fantastic perspective. I was going to hold my story until later, but I feel like I should tell it now. Um, So 
if you're not already following David, you can follow him on Twitter at Lombardi himself. And so when we're usually in post-game press conferences, David came and sat next to me and he has all of these tabs open and he's looking at all of these like analytics, all these (laughs) parts, all these numbers. And I'm kind of like peeking over his shoulder, like, what does all of this mean? Because I feel like just to the naked eye and just to the, the everyday fan, you're not really taking that into account. Just like how you said, you know, you feel like social media has had a, a heavy influence on the way people have their opinions on, you know, a quarterback and his performance, his efficiency, so on and so forth. But David is always, I feel like taking it a step further and looking into the numbers that actually matter, the numbers that really dictate a person's performance. Um, and even, uh, it was a couple of games ago and we're sitting there and, uh, we're at one of the guys are at the podium and Nick Bosa sits on the other (laughs) side of David. So it's myself, it's David and Nick Bosa. And Nick even looks over David's shoulder and he's like asking questions like, what's this? What does that mean? Is this like the the box score? Like, and, and David's like breaking down to him what all of this stuff means. And so that's one of the reasons why I felt like it was really important, one, to have you on this podcast, but two, I also wanted to ask you about Jimmy Garoppolo and, and uh, because, again, he is one of the more um, – Polarizing. polarizing He's exactly. absolutely polarizing. Yeah, no, and, and, and I, I get it. I mean, because the 49ers have Trey Lance on their team, and there was a lot of it, let's just put it, emotional, knee-jerk kind of reporting over the course of this offseason that just wasn't rooted in what John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were saying about this team, about the quarterback and their plans. So I think some people got different expectations, and but they've been, I think, clear about how they feel about Jimmy Garoppolo and his role on this 2021 team throughout. And you could see why, because he's their most efficient option and he's they're running an efficient offense. This team is, what, five and two over its last seven games right now. So they finally have found their stride. Mm-hmm. If they can beat a, an inferior Atlanta team, and I think it's clear that Atlanta is inferior. I'm not saying there's not a chance that the Falcons upset them. I mean, that could always happen, but the 49ers hold serve and do what they're supposed to do. They'll be six out of their last eight in the win column heading into the final two games. So they're doing something right. And I think that, you know, everybody wanted to roast them based, based on one incompletion at a time, right? You know, everybody wanted to be so fixated on every single mistake without acknowledging that football is this inherently chaotic game of these, you know, massive athletes running and smashing each other, small car accidents happening on the field. Of course there's going to be mistakes, but the measure of success happens over a longer stretch. There's a reason why these teams play 17 games now in the regular season, and even that doesn't crown a Super Bowl champion. You have to be able to show that you can succeed and be efficient over a longer stretch. And I'll tell you what, over this eight-game stretch, since they've kind of started to figure it out, um, the 49ers are playing well, and and Jimmy Garoppolo especially, he's played well. I would say over this seven-game stretch, he's played well in six of those seven games, with the exception being the loss in Seattle where the 49ers really struggled. So all we can do is is sit back and see if it continues because if it does, the 49ers will be in a really good spot. I love that you brought up a name that actually takes me to our first fan question. Michael Stone from Illinois. Um, he's looking back at that Seattle game that you were just talking about. And I think in particular that last drive, that final drive where the 49ers could have ultimately um, – 
tied that game and potentially went for two points and won it. But Michael Stone said, why wasn't Trey Lance used more in Seattle? His skills as a running back could have helped on the goal at the end of the game and says Seattle doesn't stop the run very well. Um, I think listening to Kyle over these last few weeks, um, he's talked about how bringing in Trey kind of messes up his groove and calling plays and, and the defense is being able to be prepared for what Trey what have having Trey on the field, what that could ultimately bring. But what's your take on this Trey Lance situation? Will the 49ers fans, will they see him anymore this season? How do you kind of see everything taking shape? Well, th- this has been interesting because Kyle Shanahan's plans have evolved. You just alluded to it a little bit. But um, th- there have been several twists and turns in the road that have led us to this current point where Garoppolo is playing 100% of the time and Trey Lance is just holding a clipboard. And and it's because it, – let's just rewind a bit. 49ers draft Lance, but they commit to keeping Garoppolo. Um, that that was their their plan the whole time, to have these two quarterbacks this season. Then as time goes on – Kyle Shanahan becomes more and more familiar with what Trey Lance might be able to do this season. And it only took him, what, seven or eight days into training camp to say Trey is going to play this year because he has a skill set that can complement our offense. And, I mean, the way that Kyle Shanahan talked about it was was really interesting back then. He had these ambitious plans for, you know, utilizing Trey Lance in, in certain down and distance situations on the field to leverage his skill set and to complement Jimmy Garoppolo's skill set, almost like you use a bigger back or a bigger receiver in a certain situation while you'd use a different quarterback in, in a certain spot. And we saw the the beginnings of that plan on the field against the Raiders, right, in the preseason. And then Shanahan did actually employ it on the very first drive of the regular season against Detroit, where Garoppolo led the 49ers down the field and then Lance threw the touchdown pass in the red zone. But what Shanahan found over the course of the year is that because the skill sets are so different, it's tough for him to enter a rhythm as a a play caller. So there better be a massive benefit whenever he completely changes gears and brings Lance in in a certain spot instead of Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay, that that was all pretty expected, I think. But the thing here's the here's the here's the big catch. The 49ers expected that massive benefit to come in the red zone because in years prior, they had not been particularly efficient in the red zone. So that's where all of Trey Lance's packages and everything came in the red zone. But fast forward, yeah. but yeah, fast forward to, to now or at least a couple weeks ago. And, and now the 49ers, 49ers now are have converted 73% of the red zone trips into touchdowns, which leads the NFL by a wide margin. Two weeks ago, they led the NFL by an even bigger margin, and they had the highest mark on record. They had converted 80% of their red zone trips into touchdowns. No team had ever done that before, and that was primarily with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. So that, that's the big twist is that I don't think the Shanahan expected them to be as efficient as they were in the red zone under Garoppolo, and he thought that it would be make perfect sense to, to plug Lance in there, but why would you you know mess with something that was working so well, right? And even in Seattle, they had been scoring in the red zone up until that final drive. And let's be honest, um, it's really hard to blame that final drive on Jimmy Garoppolo. He had been perfect, led them down the whole field from their own two. And uh, Carlos Dunlap, you know, backed Tom Compton into his lap and he batted a pass away. It's not like Jimmy Garoppolo could have really done anything different 
on that final play. And I don't think that Trey Lance could have done anything really different. You know, your offensive line has to protect you no matter what. So you can see how this progression has happened, though. And it's because of the red zone excellence of the 49ers offense that Trey Lance, I think, kind of got shut out of being part of Kyle Shanahan's plans. And that's nothing against Trey Lance. He had 318 pass attempts at the FCS level in college. This is always uh, this was always going to be a project, right? This was always going to be 2022 at the soonest unless Garoppolo got hurt kind of thing. And that's what it's turned out to be. And unfortunately for Lance, or unfortunately, I don't know, maybe it's good for him, but unfortunately for fans who want to see Lance, um, it, it just they don't get that situational play because of other circumstances. And hey, a lot of those are good for the 49ers. I don't think anybody on the 49ers is complaining that they've been the most efficient team in the NFL in the red zone under Jimmy Garoppolo. So with that, which I think you make a fantastic point about, you know, you would have thought because that was an area that the 49ers, it was an area of improvement for the 49ers, their red zone efficiency. And with Jimmy, they are leading the league once they make trips to the red zone, being able to find the end zone. But do you think at some point, Let's say through these four games, do you think it Kyle Shanahan sprinkles them in a bit in a little in a, some sort of fashion, or do you think if it ain't broke, don't fix it? I I I kept on expecting to see it, and then Kyle even came out and said, you know, I'm just not comfortable doing it. So my, uh, you know, my confidence in, in in that potentially happening has gone down. But uh, you know, I do think that Trey brings it such an intriguing skill set. I I've been hoping to see uh, an alignment with both of them on the field at the same time. And maybe Kyle's saving that oh. for the playoffs or something, you know, point where it really matters at this point, the four ers are very likely to make the playoffs unless something crazy happens and they get desperate in the regular season. He probably doesn't even have to show it right now. Right. So, you know, maybe when the 49ers are underdogs in, in a tough playoff road, because that's what's ahead, they're not going to win the division, right? They're, they're going to have to go through that wildcard path on the road. Uh, there might be a time when he needs to steal a few points, you know, if you will, because the 49ers aren't going to be the dominant favorite that they were in the 2019 playoffs. So maybe that's where you you, you save it for. But you know, Trey, Trey's talented. He he can move. He can he can throw. Uh, he's he's just not polished in the standard drop back passing game that requires 30 decisions from the pocket per game. And that's what the 49ers are getting him ready for. And that's 20 again 2022 at the soonest. But in the time being, you spent a lot to get him. He's in uniform. Why not you know, find a way to mix it in? And it, it would be hard for me to believe that the 49ers don't you know, utilize that at least, at least once here moving forward because I think they're going to need it. I, the margins are really, really narrow this year. You know, They're not going to blow the NFC out of the water, but they have a chance. They really do. And why not use uh, such a talented player like Trey Lance on that bench? Yeah, I feel like it's a, a benefit that the 49ers have that not many teams have. I know years prior you can talk about the Drew Brees, Taysom Hill, but 49ers do have that in their pocket. I would love to see that. Uh, some way, somehow Kyle Shanahan gets both of them on the field. I might lose my mind if that does happen. But all right, let's put week 14 behind us. Let's start looking ahead. Got the Atlanta Falcons coming to town. This is not the same Atlanta Falcons. Uh, that we saw in 2019. I feel like it was a completely different story at that point. 49ers, essentially, they had their ticket stamped into the postseason. They just didn't know where they were going to be. Atlanta was just playing spoiler. They had Julio Jones. They had uh, some of those weapons. They are not going to have those same pieces. Um, 
it's not a great team, but it's still a hungry team. They are still in the mix this time around. What have you seen out of Atlanta and what are you expecting going into Sunday? It's weird, right? It's the opposite of what you'd expect because I think this Atlanta team is far worse than the team that uh, beat the 49ers a couple years ago, even though that previous team in 2019 was out of contention. This current team is right in the thick of it because they're six and seven, but the analytics hate the Falcons this year. I mean, they're literally football outsiders is DVOA, which is, which is a, a fairly predictive ranking of how teams are going to do. The Falcons are dead last. They're number 32 in the whole league at that six and seven record. They're worse than Jacksonville. They're worse than the Jets. I, I don't know who else is a bad team, but, the, but, but they're worse than them, right? I don't generally pay attention to the very bottom of the league, but you have to pay attention to the Falcons because they're six and seven. And the reason there's that, that that those two things are so disparate is because they've only won games by a score or less. So their their six wins have all been close, and almost all of their seven losses have been blowouts. They've just been destroyed in in those seven losses. And so you see what I'm getting at here is that that they've been fortunate over the course of this year. And the, the there's a reason why the 49ers are are heavily favored in this game. There's a reason why the Falcons, every time they played a semi-decent team, have just been wiped out of the building. And I think if the 49ers are truly who they think they, they can be, because I don't want to say who they are yet because they still have some more to prove, but if, they, if this is a true contending 49ers team, this is a game that you deliver that knockout punch early uh, because I think that they're they're that much better that, than, than this Falcons team. Matt Ryan is on the downslope of his career. Both of the off uh, lines with the Falcons aren't good. No more Julio. 49ers see him in in uh, ten, Tennessee the week after that, but he's he's not on the Falcons anymore. Um, it, really, there isn't a lot of talent with this Atlanta team. So credit to them for beating some of the worst teams on their schedule by just a couple points and probably lucking into a few breaks there and still being in contention right now. But if we look at this a little bit closer... This is one that the 49ers absolutely have to have because they're so much better than the Falcons on paper. And they're yeah. so much better than the Texans on paper who they play in a couple of weeks after that. So you got to have the two gimmies. I consider this a game. I know there are no gimmies, but good, te- good teams with this much on the line would yeah. make this a gimme. So yeah. let's see what the 49ers bring on Sunday. 49ers, I feel like this is a game that you can't overlook. I don't want to call this a trap game because 49ers are – significantly significantly a better team than what we've seen out of Atlanta this year. But you recently tweeted um, that the 49ers playoff chances would drop to 35%. I think currently right now they're about at 70-something, mid-70s right now. But it would drop to 35% with a loss in Week 15. And if they win, it jumps to 90%. Obviously, that's a massive drop-off, but... How much room for error, and we don't have to talk about just this Falcons game, but we can look at these final four. How much room for error do you think this 49ers team has with all of these six and seven teams literally knocking at their door? Yeah, I mean, so wouldn't be the end of the world if they did lose from a mathematical perspective, but even though that's a huge drop, but 35% is still a decent chance, and they could probably atone for that by beating Tennessee on Thursday. But obviously that's going to be tough because you got to fly cross-country. Um, the, the bottom line is that obviously you're trying to win as many games as possible. So you have to take care of the business that's theoretically the easiest because the road will get tougher at Tennessee than on the road against the Rams. So 
I think it's somewhere around a 35% chance they lose, about a 90% chance they win. This is based on like the ESPN FPI numbers and Football Outsiders has their own numbers, but they're all similar. And uh, if the 49ers, let's put it this way, if they win three out of their final four games, as I think is totally possible, that means you beat Atlanta, you beat Houston, you split one of Tennessee and the Rams. Uh, the 49ers have over a 99% chance of making the playoffs, just any way that you crunch the numbers, right? If you won all four, of course, you're in uh, 100%. But if they only win two, I still think it's like it's it's really high. My, I, I don't have a number for it. But just win these ones that you're supposed to win against the inferior teams, yeah. and you're fine. But if you start dropping it, the games against the inferior teams, you open up the door for disaster. And that's really how I look at the the situation now. So um, I, I just don't see this being a trap game because the 49ers should know what's at stake, right? Trap game happens when you don't really realize what's at stake. But right now, that they ha- their fate is in front of them. And a good team handles business in this kind of situation. So we've talked about both rosters, essentially, but you've got Matt Ryan. You said that you believe he's on kind of like a downhill slope right now, but they still have Kyle Pitts, who's really coming into his own as the season progresses. Cordell Patterson, who, you know, when everyone talks about Debo Samuel and you're trying to categorize what kind of player he is, uh, people start to pinpoint Cordell. Um, we talked about their defense sitting dead last in, in DVOA, but what do you see as the keys to a 49ers victory? Well, uh, they they have to imprint their brand of football, and this is this is a week-to-week thing. I think this 49ers team is talented enough to uh, play with anybody in the NFL and, and beat most of the teams in the NFL but just by holding serve with their brand of football, and that's, that's ball control on offense to fuel opportunism on defense, right? And Sportaners defense, we, you got to give them credit. They've been getting better and better and better. And part of the reason they have been able to get better is because the offense has generally been doing a good job with the ball control ever since that week eight game against Chicago. So that's, you know, Kyle Shanahan talks about it a lot. Complimentary football, both phases feed each other. It's, you know, this symbiotic relationship between offense and defense and then you just have to make sure that special teams doesn't go and bomb everything away like they have a couple times this year but uh it was Cincinnati special teams that that uh were the underperformers in this past game so the 49ers got that benefit and then even though they were shaky at times on both sides of the ball offense and defense they were ultimately complementary so when you face a team like Atlanta you you have to just ensure that you keep the line moving with that formula and we'll see if Elijah Mitchell comes back. Um, that I think that would help the, the, the rushing attack because right now they're relying a little too much, I think on Debo Samuel, but Jeff Wilson should be getting healthier every week. And that running game is, is, is a backbone. That's the spine, you know, it's a spine of this offense and Jimmy Garoppolo can throw it 41 times if he needs to. And last week, that's what the, the game plan dictated because the running attack wasn't quite as efficient and Cincinnati was shutting it down. I don't know what Atlanta's going to come out with schematically defensively, but if the 49ers can be balanced on offense, then they could defeat whatever Atlanta throws at them because it's not a great defense. They'll pass if they have to pass, and they'll run if they have to run. And if you do that and you don't turn the ball over, then you set your defense up to to, to do its job, and then then you win. And here's a stat for you. The 49ers are 12-1 since 2019 when they don't turn the ball over. And the one loss was the season opener in 2020 against Arizona where they had a blocked punt. Uh, one of their punts was blocked. 
And that's essentially a turnover. It doesn't technically count as one. So I would go out and say the 49ers are, are 12 and 0 when they don't turn the ball over since 2019, since they've had a viable roster with Jimmy Garoppolo uh, healthy at quarterback. So um, take that for what it's worth. But if they could just execute, hold on to that football, hold serve with ball control, that shows you this roster's good enough uh, to, to win games without needing any extra help. Just, just don't cough it up on your own. This podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the official below-the-waist grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. It's simple. Ball security, hold on to the ball, and get back to what you've been doing, running the ball. That's the 49ers' keys to success, and you've heard it right there, 12-0 and 0 when you are taking care of the football. All right. David, before I let you go, I've got one last one for you. And I think this is like one of the fun topics that I think everybody's already looking towards. Yes, we're still in December football, but it's so much more fun to start looking, at least peaking towards January. Um, Obviously, Monday night, I don't know how many people really expected um, the Cardinals to perform the way that they did, especially against a shorthanded Rams team who ended up getting that win, gave themselves a little bit of breathing room with the 49ers eyeing that fifth seed. but. It's still very early, but let's just kind of take a look at what the picture looks like as of right now. 49ers have to take care of business before anything, but looking at this NFC picture, let's just looking at the teams, knowing who's going to have home field advantage. This isn't, you know, where the 49ers are now, but what's your dream wild card matchup that you think the 49ers could truly excel in? This is let's say they could move from five to seven. What would you say? Well, it looked way more possible before Monday night, but if the Rams had lost, the 49ers would only be one game behind the Rams with obviously a game still remaining against the Rams to to catch them in week 18. And that would have opened up the door to the number five seed, which is as high as the 49ers can realistically get, right? They're mathematically still alive for the division, but it's not going to happen. Uh, I think that Arizona even plays Detroit. So they're going to beat Detroit, right, this weekend, and that, that's going to close that door. 49ers can't get higher than the five seed. But if they had been able to get to the five seed, which looks a whole lot less likely now with the Rams winning, that would match the 49ers up with the four seed, which seems to be, seems that it will be the Dallas Cowboys. And I think that, in general, when you go into January, you want to a uh, face a team that you know y- you could confidently say you know we-, we could beat these guys. That's what the 49ers want to say. And b you don't want to go to Green Bay because it's freezing in January. Okay, no nobody wants to deal with that weather. You don't want to go to a bad weather place. If you look at the NFC playoff picture of the teams that are going to be potentially hosting, the only truly bad weather place is Green Bay, yeah. right? Uh, Tampa Bay, that's that's decent weather. Uh, Dallas is inside. L.A. is basically inside, even though they were delayed due to lightning yeah. uh, this, this, this year, which is which is funny. That they have a canopy, right? They have a canopy, and it's L.A., so it's it's going to be decent weather. Um, but anyway, weather is only an issue at Green Bay, so you don't want them. Um, I don't think you want Tampa because I think they're they're playing as the best team of football right now. Um, balanced offense and defense, great. Offensive line, we know that defensive line won the Super Bowl for him last year, uh, just terrorized Patrick Mahomes. So t- Tampa Bay, I, I just think you, it, best case scenario, if you're the 49ers, you just stay away from them and hope somebody upsets them. 
If not, you get Garoppolo against Brady. That's fun. You know, that's a storyline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) absolutely nobody would write anything about that, but, um, um, so, so that crosses Tampa Bay off the list, right? So then the other division leader is Dallas. And then the other division leader slash winner would be either Arizona or the Rams. Right. Um, so that five seed would play that four seed, which would probably be Dallas, but it's not looking likely the four ers get up to number five anymore. So if the playoffs started today, the 49ers would be the sixth seed and the Arizona Cardinals have dropped to three. So it would be the 49ers against Arizona, which I think is super interesting. And that would be another indoor game, right? In the desert. And it would be a game that I think the 49ers would take their chances in. Cause I don't think Arizona they might have peaked too early this year, right? They were hot to begin the year, but it didn't really look like they're on their hot streak right now. Um, so that that to me would be really interesting if the 49ers played the Cardinals in, in the postseason. And I think that's a game they would absolutely take. But I think they would prefer even more than that. They'd prefer a, a Cowboys matchup. Um, but I, I, it, it's a toss-up in between those two. So between Cowboys and Cardinals, your pick, what do you think is the best matchup for the 49ers? It's hard to beat a team three times, right? It really is because schematically you have, you know, you know the other team inside and out, and the you know the 49ers could probably find a way. It, 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 that's why these divisional games are always close, no matter what, right? Because you have uh, teams that are just so familiar with each other that you know even if one team is significantly better than the other, there's going to be a vulnerability. So if I give you the 49ers, you, you say give me Arizona for the third time and and we'll find a way to even if they might be better than us this year we, we, we could find a way to beat them once uh-huh. because you know we've already learned two tough lessons against these guys so i i would think that arizona game although i'm all for the renewal of the 49ers cowboys <laughs> rivalry uh that my favorite piece i ever wrote about for the athletic has been you know looking back at the epic 49ers cowboys rivalry that stretched from the 70s to the 90s yeah especially in the 90s it was awesome it was the greatest football game of all time as far as talent level on the field was Man. the January 1995 NFC championship game. We've never seen more hall of famers, <laughs> pro bowlers, all pros on the same field at mm-hmm. candlestick 49ers won. And it's tragic to me that the 49ers and Cowboys, the last time that both of them qualified for the postseason in the same year was in 1998. Yeah, I saw that stat. That's wild when you think about it. Yeah, so that needs to happen and they need to play again because that was what I grew up on as an NFL fan was 49ers-Cowboys in the 1990s. Yeah, uh, David Lombardi is lobbying for a 49ers-Cowboys uh, renewed rivalry. I honestly, I agree. It's really hard to beat a team three times in a season. Um, 49ers did beat a team twice, Green Bay, in a season. But three times, it's a little bit different. And then also you look at the Cowboys – and defensively, they're playing really well, but their offense, I feel like, has kind of faltered over the last few weeks. Not really that offense that we thought they would be, especially with those weapons, considering Dak, Zeke, and um, uh, C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper. So uh, I think that could also be a very, very fun matchup. And I want to circle back around really briefly. You talk about 49ers. It's going to be an uphill battle for them to kind of grab that um, fifth seed in the NFC, but I've been looking at the Rams upcoming schedule. They have Seattle. You just spoke about how some of these divisional matchups they're they're different schematically. And, you know, knowing your opponent, they have Seattle in week 15. 
uh, followed by Minnesota, who's still in that fight, trying to get to the postseason. So they're kind of at that do or die moment. So that could also be an uphill battle for them. Then you're at you're on the road in Minnesota. You're on the road again in Baltimore, another team who's trying to stay atop of their division. So they have a tough slate wrapping it up with the 49ers week 18, which still sounds so bizarre to say. But um, that's that's four, I think, very tough games. And if the 49ers uh, can come out strong in this final four game stretch and the Rams somehow struggle, the 49ers could find themselves, especially considering that tiebreaker since the 49ers beat them earlier in the season. They could see them knocking on the door for that fifth seed. But nonetheless, uh, David, I feel like we, we've touched on every single topic. We've gone every single direction here on this podcast. But I appreciate you so much for stopping by and just dropping some some serious knowledge and insight uh, that I think goes beyond just what the naked eye can see. But we appreciate you and uh, we'll have to have you back to maybe knocking on some wood. Maybe we can talk some January numbers if, you, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Oh yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Like I said, there's nothing better than, you know, following a team, covering a team that's in contention in December. At, at this day and age in the NFL, you can't really ask for more because it's a tough league. It really is. And yeah. when you're in contention in December, when you're likely to make the playoffs as the 49ers are now, it makes every game fun. And and that's all we can ask for as sports fans. Yeah. Fun, stressful, same thing like uh, last week against the Bengals. David, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch you at Levi's Stadium this Sunday, all right? Sounds good. 